A superstar forward is expected to miss a significant amount of time for a second straight year, while San Jose's best player from last season takes a hit to his character. And on a lighter note, time to predict who will win the NHL's top awards. The only debate is, will we see eye to eye? Episode 291 of the Lace Them Up podcast starts right now. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And uh, before we get to uh, our predictions for NHL Award winners this year, we're going to talk about some injury news and uh, where have we heard this before? Nikita Kucherov missing significant time again. Yeah, well, yeah, we're, we're actually going to start off with Evander Kane, but yeah, we'll, we'll get to Nikita Kucherov in a, oh, yeah. in a second. Oh, yeah, also that. Uh, yeah, it's all right. I guess they're both kind of pretty big news stories. Uh, but, um, but I feel like this one's a bigger one because it's like, we haven't seen this happen, this situation happen, or this situation's rarer than uh, Nikita Kucherov getting injured. Like, it's like Nikita Kucherov gets injured all the time, apparently. Um, Whereas Evander Kane, yeah, he he usually gets in trouble, but like he's he's reached a new low, which is strange to say because his low was pretty low before. So it's it's uh it's tough to say. It's just like okay, well this guy is not great. Um, in case you haven't heard, um, Evander Kane got suspended by the league uh, for twenty one games, which I guess is um, if I do this is fun when I get to do math. Uh, that is twenty five percent of the season um for faking his vaccination card um and um and and yeah you can make a case that the sharks aren't um you know they're not really contenders so it's not like um you know it's a huge deal or something like that but at the same time he was their best scorer last year and what's interesting is the sharks uh are like in their first four games I believe they played four games. They're three one. They're three one and zero. Um, and clearly, like it also seems like Eric Carlson has like three points in four games. Um, it seems like a lot of like the Sharks players um, are getting going who were struggling all of last year. So it's just like I, I do wonder if like um, if like he was such a uh, cancer in the locker room that like this is this could actually be a good thing. Um, however, what what's going to be interesting is once he comes back. Oh, by the way, he, they, they're four and one. You know, um, I, I I thought they had only won three games, um, but um, but yeah, it will be curious to know. Like, you can't really trade him because no one wants to deal with him, especially when he's making seven million for. A few more years after this, um, so uh, you can't really treat him. And it seems like the sharks, everyone on the sharks, hate him. Or if the reports are true, and also like this is kind of like a despicable thing to do. Is just fake your own vaccination card um, when he already had like all these allegations of sexual assault and uh, gambling stuff. It's just like this is another thing where it's like okay, he may, he may actually be a shitty person. 
um, if you if you didn't think so already. So let's take a look at Evander Kane, the player, and then we'll talk about Evander Kane, the person, and what he's going through. So last year, believe it or not, he was arguably the Sharks' best offensive player. It was a down year for the Sharks, and yet Evander Kane still put up some pretty good numbers. 22 goals, 27 assists for 49 points. Also had 194 shots on goal. Again, pandemic-shortened season, didn't even play 60 games. 97 hits as well, an average of 2 minutes and 47 seconds per game on the power play, an average of 20 minutes and 11 seconds per game in all situations last year. So you put that over a full 82-game schedule, that's easily over 200 shots. That's 72 points. One of his best offensive seasons as an NHLer. Great year for Evander Kane. And yet, for whatever reason... The best player on the Sharks is allegedly not wanted by his team at all. Like, the players said, under no circumstances do we want Evander Kane back here because we, we just can't deal with him. Um, so, taking a look at what the Sharks can do if they decide to move on from Evander Kane. He returns from his suspension November 30th, 21 games, as Brett mentioned. Now, TSN's Chris Johnson, formerly of Sportsnet, says two sources confirm the CBA will not allow for any sort of contract termination to happen once the suspension has been completed. So essentially, the team is getting punished potentially because the player is also getting punished. They can't rid themselves of this cap hit because justice has essentially been handed down. The league has suspended him 21 games for this. So are they going to send him home with pay right now he's suspended without pay maybe they demote him to the barracuda but would they want him in their ahl system even um do they send him through the waiver wire knowing full well that probably no one's going to claim him at the cap hit i i really don't know and that brings us to the cap hit which um was a mess to begin with um th this uh, initially uh, excluding everything if they wanted to trade Evander Kane, if he had a clean rap sheet, it would be tough in any situation because, including this year, he costs $7 million per year for the next four years, again, including this year, with a three-team trade list. Three teams he can ask to be traded to for the next four campaigns, counting this yeah. year. A very tough sell for any player in his series, regardless of what last season's numbers tell us. And then you look at his rap sheet. In Buffalo, didn't seem to fit in. In Winnipeg, kind of ran himself out of town. There was a bit of like social media controversies and stuff like that. People didn't really get that vibe, but he goes to San Jose and everyone says, oh, you know, San Jose, they're very, very good with guys that have gone through some character issues. They can sort it out. And you know what? For the first couple of years, everything looks hunky-dory. Players happy, franchises happy, franchises winning. Everything's great. And then we get to this point where he's in gambling debt. He owes the casino money. Um, he owes members of his family money. Uh, then we found out there was a chance he was betting on games, but that was not proven. But now his ex-wife's divorcing him. Now he's been accused of sexual misconduct. And now the fake vaccine card. Like, 
this this is a guy that needs help. He needs professional help. I sincerely hope he gets it. I hope he can get his life back in order. And I hope he becomes a changed man and he can find a purpose outside of hockey. And I'm all in favor of second chances even. I'm sure a lot of us are. But I don't even think, at the league minimum, he could get a gig on an NHL roster right now. I don't think anyone in the league wants this headache of dealing with Evander Kane. The Sharks certainly aren't, even at the league minimum. The the team wants him out of town. It's kind of like a Trevor Bauer situation, although not exactly like the Trevor Bauer situation, right. but it's like the talents, what he can do on the ice. Look what I can do. I can score goals. I can hit. I can piss people off. Yeah. And I know I'm good. But the off-ice stuff becomes greater than the pros of what you can do on the ice. So what does it matter? Right. Nobody wants you on the team. So you're just eating up cap space. You're, you're not doing this team any good. So the Sharks can't trade him. If they buy him out, they lose him for nothing. They already bought out Martin Jones, and they're a team that needs assets. They could get a lot of assets for Vander Kane if a suitor was willing to take uh, to take on his big salary. But now they're taking on the big salary plus all this other baggage. So really, San Jose is in a worse spot than they were before the suspension was handed down. Yeah. So for the team, for the player, everyone's losing. Um, so I would, I, I would just to play devil's advocate, I, I do agree that his trade value has never been lower. However, well, on, uh, I have two points to make on that one. One, uh, Tony D'Angelo somehow is still in the league. Um, and uh, that gives hope for guys like Evander Kane to still be in the league. And secondly, you mentioned it yourself. He had 49 points in 56 games last, last year. Um, and uh, 22 of them were goals. And he still has talent in this league. Um, and yeah, obviously Tony D'Angelo is kind of in a uh, different situation just in terms of like, you know, he was bought out and all that stuff. Um, and, and teams will have to like, don't want to deal with a 7 million on a, on a head case. But at the same time, if it seems like, like he still has talent. And if you have talent, um, it doesn't matter what you do off the ice. Um, you're still going to be pretty good. Um, so so I, w- I would say that I, I would assume that there are going to be some teams that will be interested in him. But, of course, uh, I don't think the Sharks will get uh, market value for him just given all the, the stuff that's come out about him um, in the last, like, three months <laughs> or so. I mean, I mean, you're not wrong, but the thing is, Evander Kane has been in the league for – a bit longer than Tony D'Angelo, he's had time to straighten things out. And mm. he was given a big, big contract, and he's blown through a good chunk of it with the gambling stuff. Uh, I I don't know if I've... I, I don't know if, if the trust is there with with the league, with, with the owners, with the GMs. I don't know if they can trust him. I mean, see, that I don't... I mean... I think I think the thing with like Tony D'Angelo was that like he, this was this is basically his fourth chance in the league, maybe fifth chance in the league. He's been on like six teams or whatever. It's been a lot. He's been on a lot of teams, and uh, you know he's never learned his lesson. He's he's always had a personality issue. He's always he's he's probably still a, a jerk in real life, but um, 
And and the same can go with Evander Kane. Like, remember that tracksuit issue in Winnipeg with Evander <laughs> yeah, Kane? Yeah, that's what drove him out of town. That yeah, was, yeah. That, that was the only problem. Um, so, like, you know, he was dri- driven out of town there. He goes to Buffalo. He was also a head case in Buffalo, although it wasn't as, you know, high profile. It wasn't as, as well. big of a head case yeah. because a lot of things were yeah, in Buffalo. Because no one cares. Yeah, no one cares about you in Buffalo. And then, and then he goes to San Jose, and he's also a head case here, just because it's like such a unique situation. So, so yeah, I, I think it's very possible that someone will take a chance on him because someone took a chance on Tony D'Angelo. And yes, I I guess age still has a play in there, but I think like if you get rid of their personalities and all their off ice issues, I'd rather have Evander Kane on my team than. Uh, Tony D'Angelo, just based on talent alone. Um, so, um, so yeah, I, I, I think I think they could still get a trade for him, but it's probably not going to be a ton of, um, like, you, you won't get what his market value is uh, just because of everything off the ice. Um, anyways, we have to get going. Um, uh, Nikita Kucherov um, is... Injured again, surprise, surprise, um, and everyone's of course making jokes about him um, missing the entire season in Tampa Bay, doing the damn thing again, which is definitely possible. However, I've noticed that when I looked into it, first off, it's unclear what he injured. It seems to be, it might be like it says it's an undisclosed injury. Um, I believe it may have been like he may have re-aggravated his groin injury that. Uh, was how he got uh, surgery beforehand, but according to what I heard, it's a different injury. Oh, it's didn't really aggravate the other injury. It is lower body, is lower but they body, didn't right. specify what lower body. Okay. Um, it hasn't been determined if surgery is needed, but he is out indefinitely. There's right. no set timetable for yeah. his return. Uh, but uh, John Cooper did say he did tell the media shortly after the injury happened, maybe a few days after, he said. It's not going to be a case like last year where he misses all the regular season. Right. We're pretty optimistic. Before the end of the regular season, he'll be back. Yeah, yeah. I, I was about to say the timetable is indefinite. I mean, what I have here, according to Rotowire, um, that it's undisclosed as opposed to lower body. Mm-hmm. But maybe maybe you're right. Maybe it is a lower body thing. They just haven't updated it, which is definitely impossible. Um, and, but I do have it that it was indefinite. It looks fluky, though. Like, it wasn't yeah. like he, he was hit awkward late. Right. He was just, Battling for a puck, battling for position, and look like he tweaks something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I will say that, like, you know, of course, everyone's going to make the same those same jokes and all that stuff. And I think the you know the lightning will be okay. Um, but yeah, I, I do like you know just just to have this on the record, Tampa didn't plan this. Um, they, of course, they want Kucherov on on their lineup. Um, and, um, if they, if they had planned this, then they wouldn't have traded, uh, Blake Coleman. They wouldn't have, uh, let go of, um, or they wouldn't have let go of Blake Coleman. They wouldn't have traded Barkley Goudreau. They wouldn't have, um, gotten like, you know, easily have gotten rid of Palat. Um, so, or not Palat, um, the other guy on that line. Tyler Johnson. Uh, Tyler Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> or like Gort walk away in the expansion. Gort, conference. yeah, they, that may have still happened, but um, yeah, probably. But uh, yeah, the the that entire third line probably would have stayed somehow. Um, so so yeah, it's it's not it's not like they planned for it. Um, and I think Tampa is still a pretty good team. Like they 
they beat uh, Colorado last night. So it's just like um, they're still a good team. They still have Stamkos. They still have Point, and they still have Vasilevsky and Hedman. So like they're still um, the be- one of the best teams in the league. So they sh- they should they should still be pretty good. But but yeah, it's just an, an unfortunate event for them. Um, and I think they'll manage it. Also, they reclaimed Alex Beret-Boulay. So, so I think they're, um, they're getting their groove back again. And, oh, and the other thing was... is so what that, you're saying is Alex Beret-Boulay is going to go... He's going to be there, Kutra, right? He's going to be the next <laughs> Kucherov, yes. No, no, um, I'm also... The other thing that I wanted to point out, too, is that it was like... Last year was a 56 game season, you are only playing the same seven teams all the time, um, whereas this time it's a full 82-game season, um, so it's very unlikely that he'll be he'll miss the entire season uh, just because it is a longer season. Yeah, and also you look at Tampa Bay as a team, like they've gone through this trail before, they know what to do, um, and they've been through back-to-back uh, playoff runs that resulted in Stanley Cup wins. So they have that winning mentality. Winners get it done. And they're going to find a way to um, still get results without Kucherov in the lineup. But as a, as, as a player, you, I, at what point do you say, are we dealing with an injury-prone player here? Like, this yep. is the second straight year where he's going to miss significant time uh, with a lower body situation. Uh, um, last year was a significant hip injury, and this year, it's an undisclosed lower body. Um, but, you know, if, if you're Tampa Bay, you can only go on for so long and be willing to spend so much money on a player with a lengthy injury history. If Steven Stamkos had this clean bill of health, healthy career, nothing wrong with him, and he was producing at the pace that he is now, there is not a shot in H-E double hockey sticks that you see his name occasionally in the odd rumor mill of like, Oh, you know, Tampa's up against the cap. You know, could there be a situation where they trade Stamkos? That doesn't even get discussed. That's right. not even brought up without the injury history. So at what point do you start talking about um, Nikita Kucherov and injury history in the same sentence? And I was looking at some of the previous NHL stars, one of them being Stamkos, uh, and some of their injury-shortened seasons and what they did after that. And Stamkos, uh, his injury-shortened seasons, 2013-14, he only played in 37 games. Um, And then in 16-17, he played 17. In uh, 2019-20, he played 57 games and missed pretty much all the playoffs. Uh, But then he's been able to bounce back. Um, After the 13-14 season, he had... A 72-point season, played the full 82 games, 43 goals on 268 shots. Um, Then he gets 27 goals and 86 points, 212 shots on goal in 2017-18. And then last year, he's back to being one of Tampa Bay's uh, best players near a point of game pace. Uh, Obviously, Crosby and the concussion history that he's had, he's won back-to-back Stanley Cups since those concussions. He's been, get this, a four-time runner-up for league MVP. He's had four second-place finishes. He's had a couple of other finishes. I think he finished fifth once, uh, fourth once another year. Uh, And then you look at the point totals as well. Like, you got a couple hundred-point seasons there. 
You have um, a 44-goal season in 2016-17, uh, a Stanley Cup winning year for Pittsburgh. And, of course, in between all of that, you have the unknowns of Tarasenko and uh, Eric Carlson and um, how uh, time is catching up to them and uh, previous injuries, how it's affecting their play. Um, so I'm not sure where Kucherov's going to fall into this, but it's it's worth noting that just because you even go through a couple of injury-riddled seasons back-to-back, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean your career is going down the drain, and your best and your best performances could still be in front of you, not behind you. Right, right. Um, yeah, it, I, I, I think. I mean, I guess there there is some cause for concern with him, but uh, just from an injury standpoint. But but yeah, at the same time, I, I think it's like you know. For all we know, he could just be out for the the next two weeks. You know, just the fact that it says like it's an indefinite timeline, and we're not sure when he's going to get back. Maybe they do another surgery, then you start to worry. But, uh, but yeah, I, I don't think there's any worry for him just in terms of like just the injury stuff. But, but yeah, it, it's definitely. Um, but yeah, it's definitely like possible that he's you know we've seen the best of him already in his career, but. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, it's, it's, it's pretty much, it's still too, too soon to say that. Cause I think like we could have said the same after like Crosby's concussion stuff, or we could have said the same with Bergeron after his concussion stuff. So, um, so yeah, it's, yes, it's right. I forgot about that. Or like, you know, even like a more recent example, like Stamkos, he, he, he has some injury history and, and now he's doing pretty well for himself this year. So um, so that's there's there's other examples of like guys recovering from injury, but of course it's never really easy easy to to do. So we'll see. Two other points uh, that I wanted to to make, Brett. One is um, re- regarding the Kucherov in- injury history. Perhaps it could be as simple as changing out, uh, you know, your your pregame routine. Your, your off-ice workouts, your on-ice workouts, working on a specific portion of your body to make sure that it's in tip-top shape. Um, as you're getting uh, into your 30s, um, all that stuff becomes more important. So maybe it's a simple change of a, a workout or two um, and how you train and prepare for games. Perhaps that's the next step forward that Tampa would be um, willing to consider. And I think Kucherov should be open to that if if this is in fact becoming a lower body issue because uh, we've seen um we, we've seen uh, cases like pavel burry where his leg issues uh towards his 30s uh he wasn't playing at the level that uh he wanted to and uh retired early because he didn't feel like he was playing some of the best hockey if kutras is the same mind that he wants to play the best hockey well into his late 30s uh, he might have to go through uh, some sort of changes with the workout. So I'm interested to see what happens there. Uh, also, this little bit of info from TSN's Chris Johnson. Uh, he says, quote, there would be an option potentially to put Kucherov on long-term injury reserve, which it appears Tampa's already done, according to Cat Friendly. But, uh, but he continues to say the fact he wouldn't be there, uh, the fact that he wouldn't be there all season, that being the keywords, all season, means Tampa can't necessarily bring in other players to help them 
So we don't see another 18 million over the cap situation. Right. They can look for short-term help if they want to go down that road. But it's different than last year where they were able to right. take a $90 million payroll, give or take, in the playoffs because he was out for the entire regular season. It's a yep. different case this time. Right, right. That goes without saying. But, like, even still, like, let's say he does miss the entire year. Um, and, like, let's say he does have some, like, the worst case scenario, he, gets, he has to have surgery and stuff. Uh, you know, he's making $9.5 So they do have, and, and I guess they also have Brent Seabrook making 6.875 on long-term injured reserve. Uh, they also have Zach Bogusian. So, like, they do have still, like, they have $15 million in LTIR. Um, and so they, they could still make some room. But, but, yeah, I guess right now it, it says even still that they have uh, zero cap space even with putting guys on cap space. But I, I think they could make some, they could figure something out. Um, if they will I can to. see in two months from now we're going to be reporting on a trade and Thomas Turtle finds his way in right. Florida. Right, right, right. Or <laughs> He's like, playing for the Bolts now. Yeah, yeah, or it's like, um, yeah, <laughs> or Barkov gets there even though he already signed that huge deal. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I'm sure the Sunshine State would, would burn the I know, I know. I, I, just couldn't, I just couldn't think of, like, a top free agent in the top of my head, so that would be mm-hmm. that was really just my go-to. Yeah, probably hurdles the big name out there now. Yeah, that you yeah. Think about it, or maybe like a, or maybe like um a, a, I would call like a hurdle light, like someone like Vincent Trocheck. Oh yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah, Trocheck would be possible as well. Um. Okay. Um. Then uh the other injury news here, which um I only put it on here just because it it was a dirty play, uh but uh the stars. Defenseman Johnny Hockenpah um, need uh, Drew Doughty in overtime on Friday night. Or, no, sorry, it was the second period. Um, he was assessed a five-minute major in a game misconduct. Um, and it appears that uh, Doughty is also out long, uh, just indefinitely. It's unclear how long he'll be. But it was it did look like a dirty play, and I thought he, Hockenpah would at least get like a game or two. But it turns out he wasn't disciplined, even though he he did get a game misconduct. Um, so, um, so yeah, it was it was ruled as a lower body injury, although we, I think we can all assume it was a knee. This was a knee on knee collision, um, and I thought it was pretty dirty, and I thought he would get suspended. But yeah, it turns out that he was uh, he lucked out in that in that regard. But um, but yeah, it, it, it's you know the Kings look pretty good, but um, I think if they want to be a serious, you know, even a serious bubble team, they, um, they're going to need Dowdy to be at his best, and hopefully he's not out for too long uh, because they probably need Dowdy because he's their best defenseman. But, um, but yeah, I mostly included this just because it, it was a dirty play and I thought it would be more serious, but it turns out he's not getting suspended. For it. Yeah, so no suspensions or fines, stock and paw. Apparently, uh, Matthew DeFranks from the Dallas Morning News was told that uh, Hawk and Paw did not extend his knee in any way and kept his same position throughout the hit, and that's likely the main factor. He wasn't suspended or fined. I definitely think uh, they got uh, the right call in the ice five in a game. That 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 fits uh, the the shoe fits with that one. Uh, in terms of Drew Doughty's injury, the good news is there appears to be. No ligament damage to his right knee, which is good. 
Uh, but further tests will be done when they get back to Los Angeles. They have a game against St. Louis Monday night. And uh, then I would think at the earliest Tuesday or Wednesday, we'll probably know more of, in terms of the extent of it. Um, but uh, for now, he's, he's out indefinitely. But it appears they have avoided the, the worst-case scenario. That's the good news. The bad news is if Drew Doughty is week-to-week, um, you have Sean Walker, Matt Roy, and Mikey Anderson as your right-handed options defensively for the Kings. And while all three of them uh, have shown potential with the organization, neither have really been placed in these high-leverage situations for a significant period of time. And Doughty, out of that bunch, is definitely the most offensively gifted out of them. He had seven points in four games and hasn't really put up like the 60 50 to 60 point seasons um like he used to the last one was in 2017 18 but even still he can put up around 35 to 40 points that's still pretty good for a minute munching defenseman that's still near the top of the league in that regard so it'll be a huge loss for the kings uh if he misses even a month it could put him in a in a real tailspin very fast yeah for sure um Okay, um, so now we get to going on the awards. I know that it's it's already two weeks into the NHL season, but uh, but yeah, we were going to do it last week, but uh, because of all the signings, we're sorry, we'll just push it over. So a lot of my answers are actually I tried to be as like as as objective as I could be. Like I was trying to remember what I was thinking back to these before these two weeks so I was trying not to let the the first two weeks uh take uh hold on my predictions I don't know what you did Steve but um but yeah I I mean not that really like these two weeks really mean so much but um but yeah I I I just tried not to do it but yeah we have a list of awards and we're just going to do predictions for each one of them and, and see how it goes from there uh, so we're going to start off with the, the big one, uh, the Hart Trophy. Um, who do you have? Okay. Um, it, it might shock some people considering who this guy is going to be out, but I think Artemi Panarin of the Rangers is going to win. Ooh, interesting. Um, and, and, I, and I implore you to hear me out on this. Okay. So the Rangers tend to have very inconsistent uh, offensive luck. They can either be scorching hot, they can be ice cold. There doesn't seem to be much in between. They're one or the other. Uh, and I fast forward to Ottawa as a prime example of that. They play the Sens Saturday afternoon, a matinee game. Typically, the Sens don't win those games, even when they're good. So, should be an easy win for the Rangers. 41 seconds into the game, bang, Sens score. Rangers are down one nothing. It's still one nothing after two periods, so the Rangers are hanging around. But Georgiev is getting tested for the most part. Their offense really can't get anything going. And then early stages of the third period, boom, send score again. It's 2-0. And we're heading into the halfway point of the third period. Still 2-0 Ottawa. The Rangers can't get it. Everything, anything going of the sort. They're being contained fairly well by the sense defense. And then in a split second, everything turns around in the Rangers' favor largely because of a gorgeous feed by Artemi Panarin. He makes a quick pass to get the Rangers on the board. Puck is off his stick in half a second. In the next half a second, that puck is off his stick. 
right on the tape of the Ranger on the back door. Ranger on the back door puts it past Matt Murray, who gets hurt on the play, and then Forsberg comes off from the bench, and then bang, bang, Rangers score two more goals. Next thing you know, it's around the final 10 minutes where they're down to nothing. Final seconds are ticking away in regulation. Rangers hang on for a 3-2 win. So within a span of 10 or so minutes, this team went from 2-0 down to 3-2 up. And it all started with a beautiful pass from Artemi Panarin off a split-second decision. We all know how tough this division is going to be. The Metro division is super stacked. It's loaded. Um, we talked it over in our division previews and who was going to be in the top three. And Artemi Panarin is going to be the difference between the Rangers being a wildcard team, a top three team, a division champion contender, or a non-playoff team altogether. If a dominant season by Panarin catapults the Rangers into the playoffs, I have a strong feeling he can usurp McDavid and Dreisaitl. That is because Edmonton's division's weaker. I also think that Dreisaitl is going to have just as good of a season as McDavid is, and there are going to be sectors in... um, and the hockey circle, you know, with the power to vote on uh, these urgent debates of who wins the Hart Trophy as league MVP. And there's going to be a circle that says, I don't think Panarin should win the award, but I think Dreisel should win the award. Then you have another circle that says, I don't think Panarin should win the award, but I think McDavid over Dreisel for the Hart Trophy. Right. And as a result, I think Dreisel getting some of those first place votes will take away from some of the first place votes that McDavid could get. So the race is going to be a lot closer. It's going to be far from unanimous. And I think in the in the long-range game, it's going to benefit Panarin. It's more so about the voting process, who gets the most points, not often who gets the most uh, first-place votes. Panarin could beat McDavid on third-place votes even. Yep. So that that's what I mean uh, by, by Panarin uh, winning the Hart Trophy. A lot is going to factor into it, but I definitely think it's plausible. Uh, would you have picked Panarin uh, before the, or did you pick Panarin before the season started? Before the season started, I was looking at it really closely, and I thought, yeah, why not Panarin? Why okay. not this year? Good. All right. Yeah, because I mean that, that. I was just curious because you you did talk a lot about that Rangers Sens game, and yeah, I, I mean I used that as a recency bias example. Yeah. Uh, to prove my point further. <laughs> yeah. Fair, fair enough. Um, at least you admit it. I was just, I was just thinking like I was just talking about how I was trying not to be have recency bias, and then all of a sudden you're just talking like for five minutes about the most recent Rangers game. It's like oh, never mind. Um, I think it was more two and a half or three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean I I also had predicted the Rangers um, to be in the playoffs, and yeah, you're right. If the Rangers are going to make the playoffs. They're gonna need Panarin to uh, to play at his best. So so yeah, it's it's a good pick from that perspective. Um, and and like you, I felt like you know I think McDavid's the most obvious choice, but he's also the boring choice when you have to make predictions and stuff. So um, so it would be McDavid, but because it's like I, I don't want to be like a wet blanket here, I'm gonna choose uh, Nathan McKinnon. Um, and, you know, I, I think the, the biggest case that I can make for Nathan McKinnon versus McDavid or Dreisaitl is that uh, 
Dreisaitl and McDavid are on the same team. Um, and I guess you can make the same case for Panarin as well because, uh, it, it, like, with the same with, uh, with McKinnon because, you know, McKinnon has a lot of good players on his team with Landeskog, Grantanen, Kale McCarr. Um, I could go on, um, even Kemper and all that stuff, but, um, but yeah, I, I feel like, um, what's, what's interesting, and I guess I'm going to use recency bias here is that, uh, McKinnon was actually put on the COVID protocol list, um, early on in the season, um, uh, and he missed the first two games for the avalanche. However, uh, when he came back, um, oh, and, and the, the avalanche were one and one, um, during that time, um. But however, when he came back, uh, he had an assist in one game. He had an assist in uh, against Florida um, in the second game back, and then he had a goal and two assists against uh, Vasilevsky and the the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I and oh, and I got it wrong by the way. The Avalanche did beat the Tampa Bay Lightning last night, not the other way around. It was an OT. To it was be an fair, OT. So Tampa yeah. still got up. Yeah, I think that's why I got confused because I did see the Braden Point goal and I I thought I, I thought that was the OT goal but I guess it was it wasn't um, but anyways um, <clears throat> I think I think that's just a sign that like even though he missed the first two games he he now has four points in three games and it's only gonna like um, he's going to like uh, and once he get really gets going I think the avalanche are gonna be the best team in the league. And, you know, just that's, that's proof of it because it's like, okay, he had a goal and two assists against, like, the best goalie in the league. Um, and, you know, maybe Vasilevsky isn't, like, <laughs> like you know, is, is still rusty to start, which is fine. But, um, but yeah, I, I think it's, like, a sign for things to come where, um, where the Colorado Avalanche are a really good team, yes, without him. Uh, for sure, they they could survive without him, and you probably, you know, the Rangers are probably a bubble team without Panarin, um, but and you know the the Avalanche are probably still a playoff team if if they didn't have McKinnon, but on the other hand, I think McKinnon is that X factor for the Avalanche, and um, he's like a big reason why he's he's making the Avalanche the best team in the league because. When he's on the ice, he's just a difference maker. He he makes, um, you know, even when he's not scoring, he can like every everybody on the team uh, on the opposing team is trying to defend him, um, and and that makes it easier for guys like Landeskog and uh, Kadri and uh, Rantanen and Burakovsky and and all these guys or Makar to to get going when he's off the ice. So I I think like he's just going to get going and uh, and like. And it, it will kind of allude to my next prediction, which is that McKinnon's going to get the Art Ross, um, which is the most points. Um, again, I feel like it's, it would be cheating if I said um, McDavid, because I think we both agree that McDavid's better than both McKinnon and Panarin. But, if it, but I feel like McDavid's the boring answer. I think the next closest guy will be McKinnon. And if he's going to win the Hart, he's going to win the Art Ross. Um, and and that, w- that will be his path to getting the Hart Trophy, um, is if he's going to win the Art Ross. Um, so who's your Art Ross guy? Okay, uh, this is this is the point where I go uh, full boring, uh, put you to sleep, and say Connor McDavid's going to win okay. the Art Ross. Um, 
I think at some point he's going to get 150 points in a season. I don't think it's this year. It could be this year, but I don't think it's this year. I think 130, maybe a bit over that is more likely just because um, he's not, uh, you know, playing just the Canadian teams. He's actually playing, you know, Tampa Bay twice and Florida twice. You know, very good teams. He's getting the quality teams as well. And I think that will factor uh, into uh, his final stats. But, uh, again, with the re- recency bias, I will mention to people that he's played in five games. All of them are multi-point games, and he has 13 points. And six of those 13 points are goals. So he's over a goal per game pace. <laughs> like, how can you stop this guy? You, you can't. Yeah. You, you can only hope to slightly contain him and, like, limit him to a point or two, but he's still going to find a way to get his points. Now, I said, uh, you know, playing in the Canadian division helped Connor McDavid. Well, who did he get those 13 points against? Vancouver proved to be a challenging test, but I don't really buy what Vancouver's selling. Uh, Anaheim is still rebuilding. Calgary has gone through some early season struggles, and same with last year. Uh, they play Vegas, who isn't running at 100% due to some injuries. Uh, but he still remains uh, a big reason why, for most of those games, Edmonton was able to pull out wins. And there were times where it looked like Edmonton was going to lose a few of those games. But because Connor McDavid is a, is a living, breathing cheat code, it doesn't matter, and they won the game anyway. And they've won five straight. Uh, so... I think you look at a guy like Connor McDavid, similar to Nathan McKinnon, it doesn't matter who's on his line. He can create all the offense himself, and he can put up points. It doesn't matter if uh, Hyman is on his line or Dreisaitl is on left wing. Uh, it doesn't matter if Pugliarvi is on his line or not, if they go with Zach Cassian and put him on McDavid's line. McDavid will just keep on trucking like it's nobody's business. He's been there. He's done that. He's he's one of the best players in the league, if not the best player in the league. Um, in terms of just pure offensive skill, I would argue he's the best. Um, I, I, I think part of the reason why he could have a chance of getting 150 points is because of the assets around him. Because of a guy like Zach Hyman playing the top six grinder to a T and playing it very, very well. Yeah. Uh, maybe you have Nugent Hopkins elevating his game to another level. And when Dreisel has the puck, people are captivated with him and they, and they don't want him to get anywhere close to the net. But then they remember Connor McDavid's right. on the ice. They're just like, okay, well now what do we do? Uh, so the, it's, it's a too many weapons uh, to contain along with Tyson Berry on the back end and Darnell Nurse on the back end there's just so much star power to contain all at once. And as, as I've said, uh, David will find a way to get to the net. He'll find a way to set up guys. He'll find a way to snipe pucks, um, create something out of nothing, go end to end. He can do practically anything based on his natural abilities and based on the guys around him. So that's why I have him winning the Air Um, it wouldn't surprise me if McKinnon is not too far behind, but I think McDavid probably wins. Yeah, it's definitely possible. And as I said, I, I probably would have picked McDavid, but I didn't want to be a boring guy. So um, so congratulations on being boring here, uh, but I don't blame you. Um, all right, who is your Rocket Richard winner? This is, um, this is a tougher question because I can see a lot of different guys winning it. 
I can see Zibanejad potentially maybe either Aho or Sveshnikov in, uh, in Carolina. Uh, the Angel Sovechkin is still a threat. Yeah. Um, your boy Pasternak, um, Austin Matthews of uh, the Maple Leafs as well. Uh, but I'm going to go with the other Oilers superstar, Leon Dreisaitl. And it's hinged on a lot of things, so I fully expect this to be dead wrong. But I can also see it being right on the nose. Uh, first of all, it depends on where they slot him in. Does he get more chances on the wing with McDavid taking faceoffs, Or is it a case where Leon is taking the draws on the line with Nugent Hopkins and Yamamoto, which, according to Daily Faceoff, that's look, that, that appears to be what uh, Edmonton's trying to experiment with again. Uh, and I think another part of that equation is, again, where Zach Hyman fits in. Because Leon is on line two if Hyman is getting right-wing minutes with McDavid on the first line. He, um, he being Dreisaitl, is on line one with McDavid if Nugent Hopkins centers line two and they put Hyman as uh, the secondary option on the left wing. So I think that's probably going to be the deciding factor because we know with McDavid and Dreisaitl on the power play, it's almost a sure goal every single time and even strength um, more often than not, they're going to get their chances. They're going to score a fair amount of goals every game. So it, it's mostly going to come down to the high leverage situations. Uh, and if Dreisaitl is centering his own line or um, playing with McDavid on the first line. And I think the goal totals really go up if he's a consistent regular with McDavid on line one. Because it's... It's, it's a case of McDavid feeds the puck to Dreisaitl, Dreisaitl does the rest with his accurate shooting. So, um, I, I would say that's what my prediction hinges on. It hinges on first-line minutes with uh, number 97. I like that, yeah. I mean, I, I was... I, I guess uh, uh, Dreisaitl could work. I guess even Zach Hyman, now that he's getting like a feed-through with, uh, with McDavid all the time, um, that, that's also possible. Uh, for me, it was a three-way um, decider. Um, I was thinking Ovechkin because it seems like he's like that's all he's playing for right now is the Gretzky record, and in order to and the Capitals are just letting him do that just by uh, you know because of the contract they gave him, and it just seems like okay, Ovechkin, let me every time you have a power play, he's an automatic guy to do that. Um, so I was thinking him. Um, I was also thinking of Austin Matthews because he was in an incredible pace last year. Um, but I'm going to go with my guy. Um, I feel like I have to. And um, I do believe that David Pasternak is going to get the Rocket Richard, um, which is the most goals. Um, and um, I, I I, think the, the thing that's kind of interesting is I, I remember last year when we were doing like a mid-season injury report, um, and you said to, um, you said uh, David Pasternak, and I was shocked. Not that, like, you know, I, I uh, that I didn't believe you, but, well, it, it was that I didn't believe you. It was more <laughs> that the fact that he missed, like, a month um, last year uh, to start. So it, it's, it seemed like he would have a lot of catching up to do. Um, but... Um, but since then, uh, he had 20 goals in 48 games last year, um, so he only missed like a few games. But he still was able to get about like um, 
roughly almost a half a goal per game, uh, which is very impressive. So I think, um, and you know, the year before that, he had 48 goals in 70 games. Um, and I guess technically he did tie for the Rocket Richard that year with Matthews and Ovechkin, if I remember correctly. So uh, now he's, you know, he's a few years older. Um, and I, I think like there, there is more pressure on the Bruins now, especially those top three of Marshawn, Bergeron, and Pasternak. Um, and, um, and I think like, you know, yeah, they have Taylor Hall on the other end. Um, and that could help them, like, you know, lose some of the pressure. But I think um, it could also help because, like, when Pasternak's off the ice, then you could ha- you're going to have to deal with Taylor Hall. And um, I think that can only help this guy. Um, and, you know, he's reaching his prime. I don't think he's, he's like, yeah, he's very good already in his career. But, um, but I feel like the best is yet to come with this guy. Um, and I think that's gonna, that time is going to be now. And uh, I, I think, uh, so I have faith that I'm, I'm putting in a lot of stock that Pasternak's going to uh, get the Rocket Richard this year. You make, you make a good point about that second line. If that second line can be not, not as deadly as the perfection line with Marshawn Bergeron and Pasternak, but if it can be like a formidable threat that yep. teams take uh, a lot of uh, time and patience to look over, um, that definitely opens the door for Pasternak to do his thing, and I can definitely see his goal scoring go up. But I think a lot hinges on that second line. Yeah, that, that's fair, and I guess it, it'll be tough when you don't have, like, Charlie Coyle's a downgrade from Krejci, although he did have a big game on uh, Friday. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's still, like, I, I, I still think that Pasternak's going um, to do well um, in this role. So we'll see. Um I have faith that someday, if it's not this year, he will win the Rocket Burchard. It's just tough to do with Ovechkin there. Yeah, although you didn't pick Ovechkin either. <laughs> but, but yes. Um, but <laughs> also, yes. also true. But I did mention that he could win it. You did, you did say that. And you also said that Pasternak could win it too. But um, but yeah, it was, it was really, it's really I just... I mentioned like six other names. But yeah, yeah, there, there, there are a few other ones, that's true. Sure that. um, but it was, it was mainly between those three guys for me. Um, but yeah, I could see Drysaitel. I could see Zabinijad. Um, you know, I, I'm sure there's another guy I'm not thinking even. But um, but yeah, I, I could see that happening. But I don't know. I, I feel like in in those situations when it truly is a toss up, I have to go with my guy. So I'm, I'm doing that. Um, it could even be Brad Marchand. Um, he's been on fire as well. Um, all right. Uh, anyways, let's do the for my Norris Trophy winner, which is best defenseman. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, Kale McCarr. Uh, so this will okay. be the third award that I'm giving out to a Avalanche player. Um, but I, I think um, the thing that's interesting about Kale McCarr is that he's already, you know, he this is his, gonna be his third season in the league. However, he hasn't played a full season. Um, in the league just yet. Um, yeah, technically hasn't. Yeah, technically hasn't. That's true. I, yeah. I guess it, it is kind of tough with the bubble and um, the pandemic and, and the pandemic stuff. But like even last year, it was a, f- a fifty-six game schedule, but he only played forty-four games. Um, and then uh, in his rookie year, he had fifty points in fifty-seven games, but that wasn't. Um, 
but yeah, I, I don't yeah, I don't think they finish because of the bubble. It's it's really tough. But I think he was also injured his rookie season for some time as well. But anyways, um but yeah, he was very, very close to winning the Norris last year. Um, and what's what's crazy, and I feel like if he had played those fifty six games and kept at that same pace, which would mean that you'd have fifty six points in fifty six games, he would have gotten the Norris. Um, it, it's, there's no question in my mind. Not to take anything away from Adam Fox, he had an incredible season, but uh, Kale McC- that was Kale McCarr's trophy, actually. Um, and, you know, so far he has three assists in uh, five games, so not too bad, but, um, but yeah, I, I think, like, you know, Kale McCarr has, like, this is, like, prime Eric Carlson we're talking about, um, where, like, he's just so offensive that he's, like, uh, that he's basically like your fifth, uh, your fourth forward on the ice. Um, and, um, but on the other hand, it's, it's sort of not like Eric Carlson, and I'm sorry to disrespect your boy here, <laughs> Steve, uh, but uh, Eric Carlson uh, was never really good on the defensive side of things, uh, whereas it feels like Cam Lacar is better in, in that kind of stuff. Like he blocks, he hits. Um, and his takeaways and giveaways ratios is um, de- decently. And this is proof that I'm, I'm not taking recency bias into it, because right now he has a minus 8, and uh, his takeaway-giveaway ratio is 50%. So he's, uh, he's not doing so well in the defensive side of things right now, but I, I, I have a feeling that that will improve over time. But like, what's interesting is like defensemen, it usually takes a while, for them to get either the offensive side of things going or the defensive side of things. But for Kim McCarr, he's already like gotten both the defense and the offensive offense like developed and it's ready to go. So um so I I think he like we're we're I think at the end of his career we're 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 gonna see a very special kid. Um, and um yeah and I, I think this will be the first Norris of many for him. Um, in the, in the long run, so who's your Norris yeah. trophy prediction? Or yeah, I guess if you want yeah, to I talk can, about Kale McCarr, <laughs> I can uh, I can definitely agree with uh, the fact that Kale McCarr, uh, within the next couple of years at least, will win uh, the Norris Trophy as top defenseman in the league, um, and he's absolutely ready to win it now. He was ready to win it last year. Um, I. If you're asking me, is Eric Carlson going to win the Norris? No. Um, Tyson Berry led the league in scoring last year. Eric Carlson's near the top of that this year. Uh, Ta- Tyson Berry didn't even get a fifth place vote for the Norris last year. Right. Not even one. But so, by the way, for record, when I when I mention Eric Carlson, I'm talking about Eric Carlson back when he was on the Sens, not Eric Carlson. Yeah. Although Eric Carlson and, does and, look and pretty I, good right now. Agree with- yeah. I I do agree with with your stance on Carlson. Uh, you know, the giveaway takeaway ratio, being in those high leverage situations where you're constantly moving the puck, there's bound to be a fair yep. share of giveaways. That's understandable. The plus minus rating at times is also going to suffer as a result of that. Um, it's, he's not, a, he's a, he's a bold defenseman, not afraid to take risks. And that usually puts himself in, into some hot water, but if he gives the puck away, he had the speed to get back. His speed has really suffered as a result, And that is why you're getting, the awful plus minuses that you're seeing today uh, is because he's kind of lost a, a step or two or even half a step and half a step 
can can make a little difference, but also a big difference. Uh, so that hasn't really helped uh, Carlson uh, too too much. But it's it's good to see him kind of bouncing back a little bit. Uh, speaking of bouncing back, uh, my uh, winner for the Norris this year did take a bit of a step back after a midseason injury, but prior to that, he was playing very well. And to his credit, this year he started off very well. I'm talking about Aaron Eckblad of the Florida oh, Panthers. Really liked his game uh, before that significant injury. Uh, sat on the shelf for several months because of it. Um, but he started off hot this year. Um, you have guys like Mackenzie Weger taking a step forward. Gustav Forsley taking a step forward. They brought in Uli Levy from the Canucks, who maybe finds his way into the lineup as well. Uh, Brandon Montour is still in the mix as well, uh, even though Keith Yandel is no longer. Uh, their top six forwards have somehow improved now that they have Sam Reinhardt in the mix. They have Joe Thornton as a little bit of a veteran leader. They have Anton Liddell, who's looked pretty good so far. Uh, for those Necklace prime for probably one of the best offensive seasons he could ever have in his career. And I think this could be the season he finally wins it. Yeah, I, I when you said like, oh, this guy was injured towards the end of the or towards the halfway point, I was like, who could this be? Who could this be? And yeah, that makes a lot of sense that uh, you're talking about uh, Aaron Eckblad. But yeah, that it's a good choice. I like that one. Um, I thought you were actually going to go with like Quinn Hughes, um, but but yeah, uh, Aaron Eckblad uh, could work as well. I mean, Quinn Hughes could win it too. There, there yep. are a lot of names to choose from, and and, yep. and that's what makes these uh, trophy races fun. It's never fun when you automatically look at a award and just like, oh yeah, that guy, that guy's right. totally winning it. Like, yeah, it's it's always great if you don't know who's going to win because it shows the talent, the versatility that this yeah. guy has to offer. Exactly, like case in point, like no one expected Adam Fox to win. Um, it, like you know, if you if you asked anyone at the beginning of last year who would win the Norris, I I I, de- I doubt anyone would have said Adam Fox. Um, so so yeah, but that just shows how many good defensemen there are in the league and stuff. Um, so so that's a good point as well. Um, all right, we're gonna go. I'm gonna do um, okay. Uh, so who is your Vezina? Well, I, I just finished uh, talking about, um, you know, uh, the unpredictability of awards, and I'm going to go with a predictable choice, Andre Vasilevsky. Yeah. Um, there are goalies that I think could have Vezina caliber seasons. I could think of at least 10 in my head where, yeah, there's a chance this guy could win it, but Vasilevsky just has that it factor, uh, just that game-changing it factor, one big Dave turns tie, absolute freak of nature, uh, six foot three, six foot four, just an absolute beast. On a uh, when Tampa needs him to be, and he hasn't been called upon to be because Tampa's so loaded up front and on the blue line. But there have been nights where he has been Tampa's best player on the ice. Uh, particularly when the injuries start to pile up, I feel like he really uh, raises his game to another level. Um, just an absolute different breed of an NHL goaltender, a generation-defining goaltender, in fact. One of the best closers than any other athlete in his profession in our lifetime. Uh, and we've seen in the playoffs, like, five straight series-clinching shutouts. Like, who does that? 
Right. He can post 30 win seasons in a normal year. He can post 30 win seasons in a shortened pandemic season. Any situation, any night, uh, you can always count on the big cats. So I'm going with Vasilevsky. Yeah, that, I like that one. I was actually thinking of Vasilevsky, but again, I feel like that one's a boring answer. It's like, okay, everyone's going to pick Vasilevsky. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that, that is definitely a good one. Um, I'm also going to go with uh, Connor Hellebuck. Um, actually, I was okay. thinking of I was thinking of doing Darcy Kemper, and then I was like, okay, I think I picked too many Colorado Avalanche. So because I was like, <laughs> thinking like, all right, if I have McKinnon has a career year, and then I have Kale McCarr having a career year, I, I think uh, they're <laughs> they're going to have Darcy Kemper is also going to have a career year. But then I was like, all right, I I, I think that's. That's a little too much. So, um, so yeah, I'm going to decide on going with Connor Hellebuck instead. Um, and, you know, I, I think the, the thing that's interesting about Winnipeg is, like, you know, like, I think the reasons why he won the Vezina la- uh, two years ago was purely because he, um, like, his de- the Winnipeg's defense isn't that great. And it's still not great, but it is a lot better than it was his Vezina year. Um, and that kind of held him back um, a little bit last year, although he was in the Canadian division where they were scoring left and right and stuff. But like, even still, he had a he had a, uh, he placed fourth in Ve- in the Vezina voting, and he had a nine sixteen save percentage, which is impressive because he was playing against Austin Matthews some nights. He was playing against uh, uh, McDavid and Drysaitel other nights, and then Goudreau and Kachuk other nights, uh, both Kachuk brothers, uh, you know, he was, he was playing against, like, you know, there's a lot of high offense teams in the Canadian division, so it's impressive that he was able to even get, like, a 916 save percentage that year, um, and, and yeah, he's had a rough start this year, um, but, but I think he'll, he'll turn things around, and I think what, what's going to help him a lot this year is that, uh, he's going to have a lot of a better uh, defense around him. So it's like, and and I'm not sure if the the news is out yet that like the defense is like better than it was his Vezina year. But like, you know, we, I think we always imagine like, okay, once Winnipeg's defense is figured out, then watch out for Winnipeg. And now it's time to watch out for Winnipeg because it's like, okay, they actually have some decent guys, Neil Pionk, Josh Morrissey, um, uh, even like Logan Stanley, uh, so uh, Nate Schmidt, um, who they just added. So it's like, oh, okay, they, they have some, some people around them that where all of a sudden he gets going. So I think this will like make him better as well. And, it, you know, he was already impressive when the defensive core was, was bad. So it's just like, okay, he's going to be even better when – uh, the defense is good. Um, however, it hasn't shown it that way just so yet, uh, where he has an 886 save percentage and a 380 GAA. But I think Vasilevsky has an equally bad save percentage and GAA at the moment as well. And so do a lot of like the best goaltenders. Like Robin Leonard is like, I think in the 700s in save percentage. So, um, so I, I, I think it's, um, eventually they'll start to figure it out and all the, the, the elite will rise to the top. Um, but I think it's just like most of the goalies have, have been terrible to start the year. But, you know, it's still very, very early in the season. 
Um, by, the, by the way, you were talking about Nate Schmidt. I think he's like a point-of-game player so far as a Winnipeg Jet, yeah. which is interesting. Yeah, the thing that's interesting about, like, even though I was just saying how they're like, uh, you know, Hellebuck has a save percentage of 886. They started off really badly, poorly, but, like, towards the, you know, uh, like, I think they pulled up, like, seven goals against their opponent uh, the last time. So it's, like, it's just evidence that, like, they're they're getting going. Like, their offense is just really good, too. So, um, so yeah, even guys like Nate Schmidt um, can, can get going. Um, all right. Uh, so this is another one where recency bias is... Uh, gonna be tough on me but I'm, I'm still gonna stick with my guy I think you know where I'm going with this because I love this guy and you know I think everyone on this podcast knows I love this guy uh, for the Calder I'm gonna go with Trevor Zegers um, I think the the thing that is kind of interesting about Zegers is that you know he he kind of uh, you know he he was a very exciting player when he was called up last year he was, like, too good for the AHL. He was called up. He was brought in as a left winger. Then he had, like, 13 points in, like, his first 16 games or something like that. And then uh, they sent him back down to the AHL saying that they, they want him to be a center um, instead of a left winger, which is fair. But then, like, so then he was working on being a center in the AHL. Then he, when he was called back up, um, you know, he's, he I don't think he got as many points, but... He was still doing pretty well, and now um, he's, um, you know, he uh, uh, this year he's the top line center for the Anaheim Ducks, um, and so far in six games he has one assist, um, and that's it. However, um, first off, it's it's going to take a while for him to really get going, which could hurt his Calder ch- chances, which is very very fair. And if, if that's the reason why he's not going to get the Calder, then I can completely understand it. But I think we are, like, I could see him making, like, a Jason Robertson-type run towards the end of the season where all of a sudden he's just scoring points every single game. And uh, there's nothing that, um, you know, whoever's in the lead at that point is going to do about it. On the other hand, I guess the other mark that could send him back is that like Anaheim is not a very good team um and uh Zegers is more of a playmaker than he is like a goal scorer um however I would argue that they are getting better like Troy Terry is all of a sudden like a point per game player um and um and and it looks like Ricard Raquel is is looking towards a bounce back season so maybe you know Anaheim will just get better but on the other hand, I noticed that he had uh, four shots on goal um, in his second, third, and fourth games. Um, and then he had uh, three shots on goal uh, last night on Saturday against Minnesota. So, like, he's getting his shot totals up, even though he's more known as the playmaker and stuff. Um, I think once he figures out his game, I think then we'll see the points getting up and we'll see... Um, him like actually be on top of the Calder votes and all that stuff. And do you want to? Do you have two dark horses just for you guys to pay attention to? Uh, Philip Tomasino um, would be one of them. Um, I think 
he's going to be impressive considering that like Nashville is pretty much they're not going to be a good team this year. Um, and, uh, you know, we kind of have talked about how Matt Duchesne and, um, and uh, Ryan Johansson aren't really the best, you know, they're not the, the greatest players um, right now. And, you know, they're, they're kind of centers and stuff. Whereas Tomasino, um, he, he, he primarily plays center, but he's also like a left winger too. Um, and I, I think that Thomas Philip Tomasino is someone that you can kind of he's definitely worth it to be in the top six um, in their um, on their team. So I think he could uh, be an interesting player to watch. Um, and the other one I was going to mention is William Eklund. Um, it's um, I, I know Victor was talking about him when he during the draft recap that we had, but like. When I, I've been watching a couple of Sharks games um, myself because I have him in a few leagues, and he looks like he's an NHL pro. He looks like he's like five years into the league, and he's a rookie. He's he's also like you know he's he's very very skilled, and I think the Sharks could be a, a pretty good team, um, but like William Eklund has to be. He was healthy scratch against the Bruins uh, today for some reason. Um, and I think like if, if William Eklund was, and they almost won, they almost beat the Bruins. Um, it was, the score was four to three, but I feel like if Eklund had played, uh, the, the Sharks probably would have won that game or they would have, you know, put them into overtime at least. Um, and I, I think he, he does have that potential to be the Kirill Kaprizov of this year's class. Um, so I, I think those are the two dark horses, but I'm going to stick with my guy that Trevor Zegers is, is going to be the guy. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I'm not going to let recency bias uh, affect my pick because I had uh, this pick uh, picked well in advance. Uh, that would be Spencer Knight of the Florida Panthers. And I yeah. know everyone's going to say, oh, young boys, uh, right. careful with those. Uh, Florida can't rely on Bobrovsky 24-7 like Columbus did. We all know that. Um, and if Spencer Knight has a massive year, they won't have to worry about that. Um, I think this kid is ready for the spotlight he's not afraid of the big moments um he's got the right team in front of him to get i don't know all-star results but pretty darn close to all uh to all-star results um in a couple of years i can see him being a top 10 nhl goalie within the next four to five years consistent top 10 goalie um Today, I think you can give him the primetime matchups. Like early, mid, late season, he can play the Tampa Bay Lightning. He can play the Colorado Avalanche. You name any of the best teams, he can go up against them with his best performance. And the Florida Panthers are going to win that hockey game. Will he reach 30 wins this year? I wouldn't go that far, but... I think 25 wins, GAA near 2.45, save percentage around 9.15. That's definitely possible for Spencer Knight, largely because I think he's in a better spot to succeed than most rookies. Uh, if I had to pick two dark horses, uh, I'm still going to go with Shane Pinto, even though he might yeah, that's a good miss one. a little bit of time because he's hurt, unfortunately. 
Um, I can I can also uh, take that William Eklund vibe, but I'm going to go against that and go with Anton Lundell, another oh, that's good one. rookie. I like that one. Who, yeah. from what I've heard uh, early in the season, has looked pretty good too. Yeah, yeah. I think he has like five points in four games or something like that. So, yeah. He's... I haven't checked his stats, but um, again, given the Panthers' top nine, I'm sure he's going to get a lot of chances to pad his stats. Yeah, yeah. Well, two of them were empty. He has, I think he has three goals, and two of them were empty netters. But, uh, but yeah, he has looked pretty impressive. Like, he's had a couple of assists and stuff. But, yeah, that's a good dark horse. I mean, to be fair, Joe Thornton in his later stage of his career, when yeah. he was more like um, a third-line guy, all they were talking about was, like, the only kind of goals he scores is empty netters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is Joe Thornton we're talking about, so. Yeah. I mean, a goal's a goal, I suppose. Yeah, I, I figured I, I added the dark horse stuff because I figured like I I you know there there's a like I feel like there's so many dark horses that's like oh I could see that happening where like he, this guy has a Kaprizov type thing or a R- Robertson type thing so so I, I do want to take the credit if if Tomasino or uh, Eklund do uh, continue to to be as good as they have been. Um, other dark horses, if we're doing dark horses, um, Quinton Byfield, although he's going to miss some time, but I think once he's in the NHL, that he's going to be a quick NHL pro and um, the Kings will be a fun team to watch. Um, and then the other one is kind of a homer pick, but uh, Jeremy Swayman as well. Um, however, I think for him, it's like Ulmark has looked pretty good. Um, and uh, who knows what's going to happen with uh, Tuka Rask when he's ready. Um, so so it, it might be a little bit tougher for Swayman to um, be a dark horse Calder Trophy winner, but I, I think it'll be 50-50 for the Bruins with Ulmark and Swayman, but I, I, I could see him uh, getting some Calder nominations, kind of like a Nedeljkovic type situation, so that's definitely possible. Yeah. Um, who do you have as your Jack Adams? Um, this may seem like it's affected by recency bias. Um, <laughs> and I, and I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm going to say in advance, I know I didn't pick Pittsburgh to make the playoffs. I thought it would be a very close race. Oh, this does seem like um, and, and even if they do miss out on the playoffs, I think Mike Sullivan just might win the Jack Adams. Yep. I don't know. I keep waiting for the regression to happen in Pittsburgh, and it's just not happening. Yep. And something tells me it's not going to happen this year, and something tells me he's going to somehow win the Jack Adams. This team doesn't have Crosby. No indication as to when they'll have him back. It's likely they don't get Malcolm back until December. Now Brian Rust is hurt. Uh, Jared McCann was traded away in the offseason to Toronto for a hot minute. And their top options down the middle are an aging Jeff Carter and Teddy Bluger, who's yep. pretty good, but second line center good remains to be seen. And then you get those guys producing. you got depth guys like Drew O'Connor producing, making things happen. Uh, you look at the massive 7-1 drubbing of the least on Saturday. Marcus Pearson gets three points out of that one. You have Casper Captain, who's a decent top yep. six player. Uh, Tristan Jerry can get you wins. Casey Smith can get you wins. They they just find ways to get it done in the regular season. And time and time again, when it looks like Pittsburgh is going to regress, Mike Sullivan keeps them from regressing. And uh, that's something I, I'm not going to underestimate during the regular season. In the playoffs is a different story. 
but this is a regular season award we're talking about. And the fact is, the Pittsburgh core continues to age, and everyone thinks, or the numbers suggest, that they're going to regress, and they don't. And it's largely because of the coach that's calling the shots. Mike Sullivan has called his shots very, very well to start the year. The Penguins have really, really impressed me. I don't know if it's going to last, but I do think he'll be in the Jack Adams conversation this year, and I think he narrowly wins out. Yeah, I like that one, but um, but it does see, it does feel like it's recency bias, um, especially since I know that... Like, <laughs> I know, that's what I mentioned yeah. before. Uh, especially like, since I know that you're not... The first not... response is going to be, hey, you missed, you, they're missing the playoffs. Why are you picking this guy to win an award? Right, right. Especially since I know that you're not necessarily the biggest um, like Penguins fan. Um, or it seems like you, you don't like you, you haven't had them in the playoffs. It seems like you're always scheduling their demise and it hasn't happened. But I, I will just say don't trust yeah. them as much as I used to. I mean, we'll yeah. probably it, 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 it happens with every aging team. I mean, if they continue this run, we'll probably talk about them next week. But um, yeah, but it, it is kind of insane to me that like they don't have Crosby, they don't have Evgeny Malkin, and they're still um, like beating they beat the maple leafs seven to two and yeah the leafs have their own issues but you don't like <laughs> beating them seven uh, wait, to two you mentioned, you mentioned in the email chain brett you mentioned in the email chain matthews didn't play he, he did play played and he got six shots yeah and no they i missed the leafs yeah yeah i i was I, I noticed that when i was looking at the rocket richard prediction stuff i was like oh matthews did play i i got that wrong yeah so, he did play and they got yeah. smoked yeah. but like he, he and just, jack campbell started that yeah. game and they and they pulled him from the net yeah yeah um he ruined my that game ruined my fantasy week but yes you're right uh, i i messed that up that i thought matthews wasn't playing because i heard uh he wasn't playing but i guess he just missed the first two games um yeah. but um yeah, so my Jack Adams, I was actually thinking to, like to go along the Colorado theme. It's like, okay, if I think McKinnon's going to get the heart in the Art Ross, and I think uh, a Nor- uh, Kale McCarr is going to get the Norris, um, and Kemper is going to get the Vezina, then, of course, uh, you know, Ben Nars should get the Jack Adams because that's like, you know, they have the best team, which they do. However... I've been a hockey fan long enough to know that that's just not how the Jack Adams works. So, um, so I'm actually going to go with uh, Gerard Gallant because uh, he fits that bill where he's a uh, like he's a coach for a new team, um, and you know going back to my prediction of the last week, you know the last two weeks uh, ago was that I was saying how the Rangers are going to make the playoffs. And they're going to be an exciting team to watch, even if they are like a dumpster fire. Um, however, since I do have them in the playoffs, I think the the Rangers are the prime candidate to uh, have a Jack Adams type guy um, to to win it this year. Because I do think Gerard Gallant is that good coach uh, for it. I guess there there would be some things that would be working against him. The fact that he won. Uh, when he was the Vegas Golden Knights coach uh, a few years ago. And, you know, just the fact that, um, you know, he's already won. And usually there's – usually coaches don't win more than once in their lifetime for Jack Adams for some reason. But, um, but yeah, I 
I still think that like the fact that they have Panarin, they still have Zibanejad, um, they're a pretty good team, but they've never made it to the next step. And if they want to make it to the next step, I think Gerard Gallant's going to be that coach for them. And uh, so that's why I'm thinking that the Rangers are going to um, going to be that team that's that's going to be one to watch for. And um, and I think they're going to make the playoffs. So I have to pick Gerard Gallant for that. For that reason alone. Yeah, I I definitely toyed with that idea for a fair bit and yep. gave a slight edge to Sullivan, but I definitely think Alliance give me in the mix for sure. Um, and and you've and you've seen it early on in the season. The Rangers, I know it's early, but um, they're what four one and one or something like that. And they've yeah. and they've won games in a variety of different ways. So yeah, I could definitely see uh, the land in there. Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. All right, um, that about does it for us here at uh, Lace Them Up. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Lace Up, uh, Lace Up, wait, Lace Up Podcast, for some reason I was blanking on that. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook at Lace Them Up. Our, uh, we're pretty much everywhere on Spotify, iTunes, wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, SoundCloud, subscribe to us there. Um, yeah, please subscribe. Um, uh, I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Osberg. We'll talk again in episode 292 of the List Up Podcast.